From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, July 23rd. Lake Powell will soon hit its lowest level since Glen Canyon Dam began capturing the Colorado River's water in the 1960s. Luke Runyon has been covering water in the West for years, based out of our partner station, KUNC. In his most recent stories, he's reported on this troubled scenario and what it could mean for the 40 million people who rely on the river. The federal government could declare a water shortage throughout the Colorado River Basin as soon as August. Today in the news, we hear our conversation with Runyon. Katie and Kay's Amy Haddon Marsh spoke with him to find out what this means. What's going on with Lake Powell? So Lake Powell is the second largest reservoir in the United States, and it sits on the Colorado River. And because of the last 20 years of low river flows and warming temperatures in the Colorado River Basin, Lake Powell is set to hit its lowest point since Glen Canyon Dam was built in the 1960s. Well, water from Blue Mesa Reservoir in Colorado, Flaming Gorge in Wyoming and Navajo in New Mexico will be sent downstream to boost levels in Lake Powell. What does that look like? This was a provision that was in the 2019 drought contingency plan. And within that plan, there was this possibility of if Lake Powell were to decline to a certain level, that the states would come together and create this, they call it a drought response operations plan. And basically that lays out, okay, if Lake Powell is dropping, we're going to release more water out of these upstream reservoirs in order to preserve the dam's ability to generate hydroelectric power. And that's really the the kind of the main goal of these releases. In federal forecasts for Lake Powell, it was going to be approaching a very low level uh, over the next 10 to 12 months. And if we have another dry winter, the possibility of Lake Powell dropping so low that it would not be able to generate hydroelectric power and they would have to turn off its powerhouse was a very real threat and still is a very real threat. And these releases are an attempt to try and prevent that from happening. Um, And so over the next six months or so, at least, Water is going to be released from these upstream reservoirs. They're going to kind of gradually ramp up how much water is being released out of Flaming Gorge and then eventually Navajo and Blue Mesa. And that water is going to flow down. And uh, the Bureau of Reclamation, the federal agency that manages these dams, says it should result in about a 2.6-foot increase in Lake Powell. Boy, that's not much. Less than three-foot increase in Lake Powell. You know, Luke, the drought is not solely focused on Lake Powell. It's throughout the West. So I'm wondering if these reservoirs, Flaming Gorge, Blue Mesa, and Navajo, do they have enough water to spare? Flaming Gorge is probably in the best position in the Colorado River Basin. It's, you know, close to having a full capacity. But Blue Mesa and Navajo have taken hits over the last, you know, several years that we've had low uh, river flows and higher temperatures. 
And so what this is going to mean is that Blue Mesa and Navajo are going to decline. I think Blue Mesa is about eight feet from doing these uh, releases, and it doesn't have very much water in it right now. I just drove past uh, Blue Mesa a few weeks ago, and it's in rough shape. But the Bureau of Reclamation is making this argument that Lake Powell and its hydroelectric generation is the priority right now. And they have these big buckets of water that are upstream, and they're deciding that they need to release this water in order to preserve that hydroelectric power. Well, do these big buckets of water upstream, do they supply anybody else? They do, but, you know, these dams and reservoirs were built with the purpose of, um, you know, kind of creating storage upstream in the Colorado River Basin. They were all part of this act that was passed by Congress, the Colorado River Storage Project Act. And, you know, this is one of their purposes. You know, I think the federal government would make that argument that this is them coming to the aid of a downstream reservoir. Um, And this is kind of just how the system was built to kind of create this redundancy in water supply. So what happens when the federal government declares a water shortage? Yeah, so this is something that's going to happen probably next month in August of this year. The shortage declaration happens in the river's lower basin, and that's all tied to the level of Lake Mead, which is just outside Las Vegas on the Nevada-Arizona border. And as Lake Mead declines within agreements among the states that rely on it and the federal government, the federal government can make a shortage declaration as Lake Mead declines. And Lake Mead is going to pass that threshold. It actually already has. And that means that Arizona, Nevada, and the country of Mexico are going to have to take less water from Lake Mead and from the Colorado River uh, heading forward. Now, if Lake Mead continues to decline, those cutbacks become even steeper, and eventually California would share in some of that shortage as well. The cutbacks are going to fall the hardest on the Central Arizona Project, which is a 330-mile canal that runs through the deserts of Arizona, and it supplies the Phoenix and Tucson metro areas. It also supplies a lot of agriculture in Central Arizona. And kind of the way that the legal structure of the river is set up, that project is going to take the hardest hit. Um, And it makes up a large portion of municipal and agricultural water supply in central Arizona, which is where the majority of the people live in the state of Arizona. And uh, they're going to, you know, potentially see up to a third of their water supply cut uh, from this initial shortage declaration. And it could get even steeper if Lake Mead continues to decline. You know, you talk to officials at the Central Arizona Project, and they're extremely worried about what this decline in Lake Mead and in the river and the watershed more generally means for the future of their water supplies. A third of the water that goes to the Central Arizona Project could be cut. What do you think that would look like on the ground in Tucson and Phoenix? Well, in the short term, it's going to mean water for agriculture is going to come less from surface water Uh, you know, water from that Central Arizona Project Canal, and farmers are going to have to switch back to groundwater. 
And one of the reasons why the Central Arizona Project was built in the first place was because Arizona had big groundwater problems where farmers and cities were overdrawing aquifers that lie underneath the state, and they needed some sort of uh, additional water supply, and they thought that that could be the Colorado River. Well, now that the Colorado River is on the decline, you're seeing people switching back to groundwater and pumping those aquifers. And that's not a sustainable path because those aquifers don't fill up very quickly. And we're already seeing areas of Arizona where people are having to drill deeper and deeper wells, kind of chasing the groundwater as it declines. Um, And you're going to see more of that if the demand shifts back to groundwater instead of the Colorado River. You know, you're going to have farmers who are rapidly depleting groundwater in the state. Reporter Luke Runyon covers water in the West, based out of our partner station, KUNC. He recently spoke to KDNK's Amy Haddon Marsh about low reservoirs along the Colorado River. And now, the weekly newsreel, where we chat with reporters about their most recent stories of the Moab area. It's a worst-case scenario for much of Utah when it comes to drought right now. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent reports that 65% of the state is currently experiencing exceptional drought, as categorized by the U.S. Drought Monitor. Here's Doug. Well, I think the, uh, the one factoid that um, really struck me was... This is the driest Grand County has been in 127 years. Wow. That predates statehood. So, you know, we try to be so careful with these type of stories because we don't want to be uh, mm-hmm. chicken little uh, saying the, the sky is falling when, mm-hmm. in fact, nothing is landing on our heads. But the drought is so scary. Um, 65%, as the headline says, 65% mm-hmm. of Utah is in the worst case uh, uh, exceptional drought category. Mm-hmm. 70% of Grand County is, uh, is in extreme drought, which is the second worst designation, and 30% is in exceptional drought. Okay. And if you look at that map, um, it's pretty clear that the darker uh, magenta color down there by the bottom, the, the exceptional drought is very close to uh, Moab. Mm. You also have, um, you know, a comparison of Faux Falls, which is um, the, the fake waterfall above Ken's Lake. Can you tell us about Ken's Lake? Well, reservoirs here uh, statewide, yeah. um, really bad shape. Ken's Lake is at, uh, or Grand County Reservoirs, there's more than one. They're at 37% capacity. And uh, last year they were uh, in the 60s, which wasn't a good year at all. Um, 2019, they were brimming. They were they were overflowing, and mm-hmm. uh, it's been very dry since then. Um, and the reason why why this is serious is, according to the, uh, the people who who follow this kind of stuff and study it, mm-hmm. if we do not have an exceptional wet winter, reservoir storage capacity in Utah could go down to the fifteen to twenty percent level, mm-hmm. and that would be a crisis, right. a huge huge crisis. Right. So it's something that we need to keep an eye on. Um, there's all kinds of uh, drought stories in today's paper. Mm-hmm. L- lawns can really, they'll go dormant before they dry out. If you give them, you know, a half inch to an inch of rain a month, they'll, they'll go dormant and they'll survive if they have a good, mm-hmm. strong root system. Trees and shrubs, bushes, you need to uh, pay attention to them mm-hmm. and, and give them good soaking watering at least once a month. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there are ways to, uh, no pun intended, weather this uh, mm-hmm. this drought. And 
I know they're, they're, they're cyclical, but I'm 61 years old, and it feels to me like we've been in a drought for at least 25 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. clearly drier and warmer than it was mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple decades ago. Well, thank you for breaking that down for us. There's lots of numbers in this article in the Times Independent for people who are interested in going further. Where do you want to take us next? Do you want to take us to other difficult news? Well, yes. Um, And this is probably very difficult for everybody involved, including the people who uh, are or might be asking for it. Mm -hmm. But um, both the uh, city of Moab and the Grand County School District will hold truth of taxation hearings. Uh, the cities will be at 6 p.m. August 4th, and the uh, school districts will be 6 p.m. August 11th. These are hearings for the public to weigh in on uh, proposed uh, tax rate increases. For Moab, it's going to be significant. It's a 100% um, increase because they they had zero was the mm-hmm. rate before. The school district seeks to um, augment their budget over last year by 10.15%. So um, there are ads um, from the school district on A3 and from the city on B3 in today's paper. There's a lot of really valuable information explaining exactly um, what the impact would be financially for property owners and business owners uh, mm-hmm. in Grand County. $66 for the, uh, the owner of a uh, $300,000 home and um, $120 increase for uh, the owner of a business at the same value. That's the school district. This okay. the city for a house of $20,000, $30,000 less expensive. That person, if approved, if um, approved, if, if approved right. and I, we, we got to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of have that caveat out there. Sure. So, um, if approved, you know, it'll be like 540 bucks, I believe. Okay. So um, read that. The school district and the, and the uh, city council, they've taken steps to explain the need for, for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The, there's a letter to, uh, to all everybody from the school district on page A3, in addition to the story that, that I wrote on, on A1. And I encourage everybody, um, whether they're a property owner or a renter, mm-hmm. um, read it, get up to notice on it so you, you know why they're doing it, and, um, and we'll go from there. Right. Yeah. At MoabCity.org, there's a tab at the top of the front page that says Property Tax Info. Lots of information there. Um, today, Friday, we're going to post a recent This Week in Moab where city manager Joel Linares Mayor Emily Niehaus and Finance Director Ben Billingsley were on air to kind of go over the reasoning for this property tax increase. Like Doug said, they haven't decided it and they haven't set the exact rate. So it seems like there's they're leaning towards, you know, a certain rate, but you know there is some wiggle room there, right? Yeah. Um, if I could play a prognosticator. I think if they do approve it, um, and there's going to be a lot of uh, hand-wringing on that city council. Mm-hmm. Um, if they do approve it, my guess is that they're going to go for that uh, that $2 million mark, which would um, be enough, I think, to pay what they th- what they say they need, mm-hmm. mainly you know more police officers and capital improvement projects and shore up the rainy day fund. Um, but I think that uh, the $3.3 million which would really, I mean, that's a pretty dramatic tax rate just right out of the box for the first time in 30 years. I think that uh, nobody on the council has the appetite for that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. You we know, we I, don't know, yeah. I, I'm not speaking for yeah. them. I'm just, uh, uh, I'm feeling for them because they're, uh-huh. in, they're in a rough spot. They uh-huh. really are. 
Well, like Doug said, uh, the Truth in Taxation hearing, which is an opportunity for citizens to comment, uh, will be held uh, Wednesday, August 4th at 6 p.m., and the school districts will be uh, August 11th at 6 p.m. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, let's go Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> Take us away, Doug, yes. from this tax stuff. If, if you want to uh, escape a little bit of the uh, drudgery of looking at your taxes and panicking and wondering where you're going to come up with that uh-huh. extra money... You just want to get the family out. Take them to the Wetlands Preserve on August 6th at 7 p.m. Mm. You got to call and make reservations at Eventbrite. Go online and get get your reservations. But they are going to have on display um, quite a few of Utah's wide variety of reptile and amphibian species: frogs and lizards and um, snakes, salamanders. Oh, neat! And, and it'll be it's free. And um, it's educational, and you can learn um, a lot about. Uh, I-, I learned a lot just editing the story. I'm okay. a geek for that kind of stuff, so <laughs> I'm probably more excited than, than some people will be. But it's really cool, and I think kids would love it as well. Okay, so that's coming up. Um, like you said, it's free, but it's with Utah Division of Wildlife Resources, but they are asking people to make reservations. Yeah, right? go on the event, right? Because there is, uh, I think it's a 25 person limit. Part of that is out of concern for COVID, and the other part is it's just um, really hard to give everybody a good experience if there's too many people around. So, right. But it's going to be cool. I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to. F- Friday, August 6th, more than I am Wednesday, August 4th. <laughs> right. For the reptiles instead of the taxes. Yeah. Doug McMurdo, editor of the Times Independent. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. The hot weather and lack of international tourists could be contributing to a summer slump in Moab visitation. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News has more from their coverage. I think we all know that when it gets hot, 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 Um, the people who live here barely want to be here. So usually it's just a little bit of a respite from like very, very intense tourism. And our writer, Anastasia Huffman, thought it was a really good time to sort of take advantage of that that little breather to take a look at numbers from um, this spring. Okay. In the Moab Sun News, uh, it's reported that Grand County lost about $10 million from international visitation. That's the estimate, yeah, okay. which I think is really interesting. Because in the summer, please back me up with data, but <laughs> anecdotally, mm-hmm. um, you know, you usually see international visitors in the mm-hmm. summertime, and those are just not here. Yeah, and one of the things that was pointed out um, by Elaine Gisler, but it's also sort of like a, um, I would say perhaps a, a tourism industry kind of truism, mm-hmm. is that uh, international travelers tend to spend more money because they obviously are going to just kind of hang out a little bit longer and they have more needs. Sure. You know, someone who lives up in Park City, they're going to drive down, spend mm-hmm. a cool weekend. We mm-hmm. love them. Mm-hmm. Grateful for that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, kind of jet back out. The international tourists just on the whole, like kind of per capita, tend to, to hang around a little bit longer and spend more money while they're here. So if mm-hmm. when you're doing like kind of business projections and figuring out what the, the economic impact of mm-hmm. these travelers are, it's something that's really important to kind of point out that there is a, a difference in the type and nature mm-hmm. of the of the folks coming to town. So the absence of international visitors is notable, um, but the slump is a quote-unquote normal thing for Green County. Yeah, I know it as that time of year that you can't get 98 Center. Sure, because they take a summer break. Right. They take a summer break, and usually okay. that is because, one, it's just been really intense. It's kind of nice just mm-hmm. to have a, a break, 
but also it is because it's taking advantage of um, that that little break where mm-hmm. you know tourists are looking at the weather forecast and saying like I don't even know what 114 degrees is. You know, living in a town like Moab, we all have, as you said earlier, sort of that gut feeling mm-hmm. and that like intuitive sense of what's going on in mm-hmm. town. So it's kind of interesting and and I think fun and definitely informative for people who live here to also know. Um, what the hard numbers are, right. you know, it's it's kind of neat to be able to, to ground yourself in the actual data. Instead of kind of repeating like vague things that we all believe, it's important for us as a, a media outlet to like also give people data to be like, mm-hmm. you're not wrong. Speaking of vague things that we all believe, <laughs> let's, let's talk about planning and visioning mm-hmm. for Grand County. So there was an interesting meeting that was held this week kind of led by the new Grand County Planning and Zoning Director, John Gunther. He wanted to focus on a brainstorm of ideas, as reporter Rachel Fixon puts it, um, for the county's long-range strategic plan. That's a lot of words. It is. It's a lot of words that unless you kind of are in a business context or, Mm -hmm. you know, are in a job where you have to go to a lot of meetings, can sound ridiculous. So, yeah, what is this process? What are what are they planning and what are they visioning here? So it's a really basic idea. And that's like you have to know where you're going uh-huh. in order to plan how to get there. But the interesting thing is when you're dealing with like kind of big organizations or big systems, yeah. it's really easy to... Even though that sounds very basic, it's really easy to just do a whole bunch of work. And then when someone's like, wait, why Uh did we do any of that? You're like, oh, I don't know, because I just showed up at 9 a.m. and I worked until 5 p.m. Especially as like, you know, all these different issues pop up on a government level. You have public lands, you have natural Mm -hmm. resources, you have, you know, infrastructure Mm -hmm. and you're kind of dealing with one and going on to the next one. Absolutely. I mean, it is really important and you have to do it and you have to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. I think one of the important things to note why these sort of documents are important, particularly for planning and zoning and for kind of like municipalities and and, uh, counties is that the policies that these folks are setting Mm -hmm. sometimes take years to even be seen. Right. You know, Mm I actually was listening to the conversation about the proposed um, Moab City property tax that you guys had here on KZMU, uh-huh. which is awesome. And one of the points I think that was made there really well was that, you know, when people are saying like, oh, well, there's still like a lot of hotels being built. So like, why aren't we, right. you know, why would we have a property tax? One of the points that was made was like these mm-hmm. things that are visually existing now existed on paper right two years ago there is a huge delay Mm -hmm. in when you're putting policies in place and Mm -hmm. when folks are seeing the results of those policies i'd imagine having some sort of strategic plan or vision plan would be helpful in making those everyday decisions or elected officials could say this is in line Mm -hmm. with our vision plan or this isn't in line with our vision plan totally we're all suspicious when it feels sometimes like decisions can be made based on like how many people showed up in a meeting and how angry were they so having a document like this Mm -hmm. kind of is a is a filter essentially for Mm -hmm. like putting um, policies and decisions mm-hmm. beside this vision document that folks have like thought about and signed off on without mm-hmm. all of the intense pressure that can sometimes be put on folks. Now the commissioners had this strategic planning meeting this week. 
anything to pull out from their ideas that you found interesting? I mean, if folks are interested in what these particular elected officials loved about Grand mm-hmm. County, I think it's a fascinating conversation because it um, becomes really human very mm-hmm. fast. So I think that there's a lot of, of really funny and interesting takeaways from, you know, things that these elected officials who are just, you know, residents in our mm-hmm. community, really. Right why they came to Moab, why they love Grand County, mm-hmm. what are their hopes and dreams, what mm-hmm. are their fears. So if you are out there and you're like, I don't feel represented by mm-hmm. elected officials, I'd take a listen and mm-hmm. see if some of the things that you want out of this community are the same as the folks who are being elected here. Finally, Maggie, can we talk about this other piece that's in the Moabs and News on the front page about a teenager who was charged with a hate crime, and hate crime is in quotes, in Garfield County. Yeah, because it's a hate crime enhancement. So essentially, um, this teenager was sort of in a, a car caravan driving through Panguitch to get back to California. Okay. Um, they had sort of been on vacation, mm-hmm. driving through Panguitch. One of the cars in the caravan gets pulled over for speeding. All of the cars pull over, and there seems to be sort of a, an escalation, a little bit of a heated exchange. Okay. No one likes getting pulled over. Right. This 19-year-old woman had a back the blue sign and got upset with the uh, officer that had pulled them over and in later interviews had said that she thought that the officer was being unnecessarily threatening to a friend of hers. Mm. And this girl, to express her irritation, kind of tore up this back the blue sign and stomped on it. Threw it in a dumpster. Okay. And back the blue, for for people who might not know, what is that? Um, Back the blue is sort of a generic expression of support for law enforcement officers. Um, And interestingly, in Utah, law enforcement officers are a protected class. So an act of hostility towards a law enforcement officer is eligible for a hate crime enhancement, Mm -hmm. which basically um, increases the the potential penalties for a crime. And in this case, Mm -hmm. um, this young woman was charged with criminal mischief and disorderly conduct um, by Garfield County. And she, you know, effectively tore up this back the blue Mm -hmm. sign that was the crime. Yes, essentially. And it's in, yeah, yeah, and it's getting a lot of national play, this story. Okay. Um, and I think something that is perhaps important to, to put this in context mm-hmm. is that um, a couple of years ago, this same county, Garfield County, a couple mm-hmm. counties over, actually charged a different gentleman in Escalante who had written um, bisexual over the word blue hmm. um, on a sign that was not his. Oh, so, interesting. So he had, he had vandalized this sign to make it say, back the bisexual. Um, and he was charged and convicted under a hate crime enhancement. Um, served wow. a couple of days in jail, had to write a letter of apology, and I believe um, also had a fine to pay. So this is something that Garfield County in particular um, takes really seriously, and they have a history of using this this hate crime enhancement. Can you give us a little taste of what the ACLU of Utah is saying? Yeah, so the ACLU of Utah um, is focus primarily on the fact that you know that hate crime enhancements are supposed to be for protecting like vulnerable classes the, yeah. the rights of vulnerable classes and they point to the fact that you know while perhaps it's not great to harass a police officer you mm-hmm. know and it definitely sounds like this situation was non-ideal mm-hmm. um that the intent of the law was to um protect the vulnerable and in this case in the view of the aclu 
it's being used to punish basically political speech. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting case. That's why we wanted to to include it. You know, right. Moab, we can be, I think, a little insular so that we always try to keep track of what's going on in mm-hmm. the surrounding counties as well. Maggie McGuire, editor and publisher of the Moab Sun News. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we hear from reporters on their latest stories of our area. Find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of our news on kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio. 